Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Good morning, church family. I say that just about every Sunday, I think. But isn't this like a really good celebration Sunday morning? Don't you think? Praise God for what he's doing in people's lives. You know, a little rain can't slow down the work of God. Having to go back to Mexico because you're an exchange student can't get in the way of God's timing. Getting a call to share your story, but being in a merge with your mom and still agreeing at a moment's notice really can't stop the work of God, can it? Uh, I want to just point out all the different life stages and what God is doing in those different life stages and how we're celebrating today. I mean, we're, we've heard from a teenager, we're, we're going to see a kid get baptized. Uh, Kathy, you said the word old, I would not use that word, but we have all these different life stages that we're celebrating today. Praise God for a diverse church, that we have kids, we have youth, we have young families, we have middle age, we have seniors, all in our church family. Isn't that what a family is supposed to be? Isn't that what it looks like? Praise God, I want to talk about that a little bit today, but I want to talk about uh, life stages, and I want to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, if you want to turn there. We've been chatting as a staff team, about how different life stages affect discipleship. And how when, when you're a child, you don't have to teach the old dog new tricks. It's actually, they're, they're ready. They can soak it up like a sponge. But then there are life stages that are busy and it affects how much we can actually serve in the church and in the community. And Then there's life stages where we feel like we've served our time and and what does ministry look like at that point? It's a conversation that's really got me thinking. So 1 Peter chapter 2. This was our reading reminder that was in the physical copy of the newsletter at the back of the room last Sunday. It was in the email newsletter on Thursday. We put it out on social media on Monday. Why do we do that? It's because we want to value the truth as a community. We want you to be in God's word, as Kathy said. We want you to be discussing God's word with your life group. We want you to really chew into the meat of what God's saying in his word before you come on Sunday so that you're ready to engage in this discussion. And by the way, the reading reminder for next Sunday, Joshua chapter 2 and chapter 6, it's in the printed newsletter. It'll be on social media on Monday. I'd encourage you to read that so you're ready for Steve's message next Sunday. 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to cruise through this really quick and then make a segue into talking about life stages and how this principle in this chapter applies, okay? So, this is, this is kind of like part one of the sermon. You ready? First Peter chapter 2, verse 1. So, put away all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all slander, and like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Have you tasted and seen that God is good, that he's faithful, that he loves you, that he wants a personal relationship with you, that he's with you when you're driving on the highway and you get that close call, God's presence goes with you? 
Indeed, you've tasted that the Lord is good. Verse 4, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter starts chapter 2 with this snapshot of discipleship. Put away the sin, embrace the truth like spiritual, pure milk, like a newborn infant, you cry for it, you long for it, and then you grow up in salvation, in maturity, in development, in discipleship, because you've tasted that the Lord is good and you just want to chase after him. In the song, it said, his, his goodness follows after me. Psalm 23. The Lord is good. Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected, the stone on which we are being built. Christ is the cornerstone. He's the foundation. We're his workmanship, and he is building us to be a holy people. Look at verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you ever take a moment and consider how far God has brought you in this journey of following Jesus? That you are not the person that you once were? That this practical sanctification that's happening in your life as you follow Jesus, you're becoming more like Jesus and God's spirit is enabling you to do so, to follow Jesus all your days? That's one of the questions we're going to ask our baptism candidates when we're at the river. Do you ever just turn around and look back and think, I'm not the person who I once was. If I was in that situation a year ago, the curse words would be coming out of my mouth. And that's not the case today because I'm not the person I once was because of God's power working in me and through me, sanctifying me, setting me apart, a holy people, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, God is working on us. Do you believe that? Do you see that in your life? You're not the person you once were. You're growing. Once you were lost in darkness, but God's spirit opened our eyes to his truth. Once we were alone, but now we're part of God's family and we have a community of believers around us. Look at verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. When you're out in the world, when you're with people who don't follow Jesus, who don't understand what it is to have faith in a God who loves them, keep your contact, conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. How we live shows what we believe. We spoke a few weeks ago, the fruit shows the root. How you act shows what you believe. And when we're out in the world, how, how are we acting? Is it, is it showing what we believe in the fact that we are followers of Jesus Christ? Is that evident to the people who watch us as we're on this Jesus journey? Following Jesus produces a life that points other people to the glory of God. Now, here's my big point for the day. Do you have a bold title 
a heading in your Bible that comes next in 1 Peter chapter 2? What does it say in your Bible? Submission to authorities. Now, on first glance, you might think, like, it's kind of a two-part chapter, right? There's a pretty clear divide right there. We, we first come to Jesus, we're like babies, we're desiring the spiritual milk, we want to get into the word of God, we have a hunger, we have a passion for it, we don't really understand all of these concepts of theology and, and how the Bible's laid out, but we're growing and we're understanding, we're maturing, we're his workmanship, he's working on us, he's creating us, he's moving us to be a holy people as we follow Jesus, and then it seems like this weird segue where it says, submit to authority. Is that meant to be there? Is that like, should, should the chapter change right there? First Peter chapter two, and then that should be the start of chapter three because the thought is totally disconnected? Or is there a connection there? Submission to authority. Look at verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. You ever wonder what the will of God is for your life? Look at verse 15. This is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So wait a second, that's God's will for me? Like I'm not meant to argue or put up a stink or picket or to sign the petition or to fight. I'm actually meant to do good, to put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. It's to do good. Look at verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants. Isn't this the example that Jesus kept coming back to when he washed the disciples' feet, the Last Supper, the Passover meal? He was setting them an example. See what I've done for you, now you go and do to others. It's like the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, this whole upside-down value system in God's kingdom that the last shall be first. Blessing and cursing, serving. This is the example that Jesus sets. Why serve? Look at verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? It means to follow him. We've been talking about this the last number of months. What does it look like to follow Jesus? Well, it looks like serving. Each person being baptized today will be asked, is it your desire to follow Jesus all the days of your life as God enables you to do so? Serving. Suffering. We're constantly having this conversation with our pastors, our board, our ministry leaders about engagement, about the leadership deficit. 
about always needing to be recruiting for more volunteers. Journey Kids needs more volunteers. Momentum Youth needs more volunteers. We need more help, more ministry leaders in all of these areas. How do we help people see that the the church experience is not just sitting in a comfortable seat on a Sunday? It's growing in truth and community in a life group, and it's also engaging in the mission as we serve in our church and our community. Here's the expectation. Let me lay it out for you. We want you to attend on Sunday and to celebrate all that God has done together as a church family. And we want you to be in a life group through the course of a week so that you have a smaller group of people that can hold you accountable, so that you can chew into God's word and ask questions, as Kathy was talking about, in their bird's nest life group. And then we want you to engage in the mission personally, serving in church and community. That's the expectation, being part of Faith Baptist Church. The expectation is not to be here one Sunday out of four and sit in a seat. It's more than that. God wants more than that from you. And he's got bigger purposes in mind for you. This is basic discipleship. If, if someone isn't serving, there's a reason. That's not natural. One of the reasons we keep coming back to in this conversation is life stage. Life stage. Sometimes the volunteer conversation goes like this. That little guy, he's going to be a great volunteer someday. He's got so much potential in his life, and, but he's still too young. He's a little immature. He doesn't really have the experience. But someday, a few years down the road, we'll come back and we'll talk to that little guy about serving in the church. Or that young adult, she's so talented and she has so much potential, but she also wants to travel the world and have new experiences and explore and you know, maybe she'll meet a guy and she'll move away. We just don't know. We're in this in-between season in life. And so we'll just, we'll just wait a few years and see what happens. And then we'll talk to them about serving in the church. Or that young couple with their kids, they have so much gifts and talents and a big heart to serve. Oh, but they're so busy. And the kids and the school and the sports and the work and the areas in the community, they're already involved in the areas in the church. They're already, we can't ask them to do anymore. We'll, we'll give it a few years and we'll see where they're at. And then maybe the conversation goes like this. Look, you've served a long time in this church, a lot of decades. You're retired, you're, you're older. You don't have the energy you once had. Probably time to slow down. You know, if, if it was a few years ago, we could have asked you to do this, but now, you know, we don't, we're not gonna, we're not gonna ask you to do that. You see how life stage affects serving, but serving is so basic to discipleship. So with the remainder of my time, I just want to point out four life stages and just briefly chat through each one and what serving looks like in it, share a few examples and a few stories. But there are many of this, many of us in, in a brand new phase of life and we're trying to discover what serving looks like in this phase. You know, three years ago, this whole COVID thing happened. The world paused. And then, I don't know if you felt it. I felt it a few weeks back when we were honoring the graduates. You remember that? And we were looking at the high school graduates on stage that are about to be launched out into the world. And I heard so many people say, I thought they were just getting into youth group. Like, wasn't it just yesterday that... 
like they were just in kids' church? How, how are they 18 years old standing on the stage about to go off to university in some other city? How does that happen? I know there, there are families here today who went through the COVID era and you stepped out of ministries that you were doing before COVID because now it's a totally different life stage. And trying to figure out what serving in this stage of life looks like now is tricky. It's difficult. And we just need to embrace the reality of that. What ministry looks like for me and my family now compared to what it looked like four years ago is different. So let's talk about that. Here are four life stages. And this didn't originate with me. Um, I'm leaning on some more brilliant minds and some articles that I've read. But here's stage one, imitation. The first 15 years of life, give or take. Babies, infants, toddlers, kids, teenagers. Very dependent. Very needy. Very inexperienced. Innocent. Maybe ignorant. It's like Paul talking about the Thessalonians. It's like Peter talking about new believers, like infants desiring the pure spiritual milk, like babies crying for the bottle of milk. We start out very young, very immature. Here's something unique to this stage. The way kids learn is often to mimic their parents, isn't it? You look into that little baby's face and you say, dad, dad, over and over and over and over until they mimic what you do or you clap, clap, and then they'll do it, right? I was teaching my kids some better throwing technique because I'm tired of chasing the ball when we're playing catch in the backyard. So we're playing football in the backyard, and I said, okay, you get the ball, do a little lean back, you do a big step, and then you chop the wood. And that's proper throwing technique. Probably not, but it's helpful for them at that age. But they learn by example. They imitate, they mimic. Have you ever been to the Aylesford Zoo down past Berwick in the valley? There's a parrot there. Does anybody know the parrot's name, the macaw? Jack Spratt. And he'll tell you his name. And then he'll mimic what you say. What time is it, Jack Spratt? What time is it, Jack Spratt? Because he mimics. He just does what you do. And that's, that's what kids do. They mimic. They imitate their parents. They imitate what they see around them. Kids aren't really ready for deep theological debates or conversations. They're they're limited when it comes to commitment levels on relationships and responsibilities because they're just young. They're just developing. But they are ready for hands-on practical aspects of the everyday. First steps, first words, using a fork, riding a bike. We want our kids to be active. We want them to be engaged. We want them to learn by our example. But what does that look like when it comes to serving in the church and in the community? How do we help disciple our kids when it comes to serving? Or do we need to tell them to wait until they're older? Why can't kids serve? Why would we ever give kids the impression that they have to grow up before God can use them? I saw a cool video of Isaiah walking across his front yard. Did you see that video on Facebook? Going to tell his neighbor about Jesus. Of course kids can serve in God's kingdom. One of my favorite pictures of this is when Nehemiah is leading a remnant of people back to the city of Jerusalem during the Persian invasion and when, when they're captive in Persia. And he sees that all the walls are broken down. 
So he leads this small group of people back and some of the people are still living in Jerusalem and and he gives them this grand vision that we're going to rebuild the walls and we're going to show to the world the faithfulness of our God, that he's not forgotten us. He's not left us on our our own. And in Nehemiah chapter three, he lists all these people and I'm not going to read it all for you, but I just want to point out a few things. The cool thing about this list is it's super diverse. You've got men, women, children, parents, single people, people from Jericho, priests. It mentions the noble elite who are too good to bow down and serve building the wall. Um, It mentions governors, goldsmiths, perfumers, rulers, all working shoulder to shoulder. It's like Nehemiah is looking around the city of Jerusalem and he's recording all the people he sees in sequence around building the wall shoulder to shoulder with each other. And then verse 12, this is my favorite one in Nehemiah 3. It says, next to him, Shalom, the son of Halahesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. He and his daughters... In a culture when women would not have been found on the construction site, here's this guy working on the wall with his daughters. Here's how you use a hammer. Here's how you lift with your legs. Here's how you make sure those stones are level. And not just that, but here's why we're doing what we're doing. Because we're God's people, and this wall demonstrates to the world what we believe about the faithfulness of our God. That's why we're working on this wall. Nehemiah 3 and verse 23. After them, Benjamin and Hashab repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah and son of Messiah, son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own house. Verse 28. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired, each one opposite his own house. Verse 29, after them, Zadok, the son of Immer, repaired opposite his own house. Faith starts at home. And if you're not practicing faith at home with your family, please don't come to church and pretend that you're following Jesus. Let's practice it at home with our family first and set the example there. Show our kids what it's like to serve God And then come and let that be an overflow when we're with our church family. We need to show our family what it looks like to serve God. I hear someone say at least a couple times a month, you sound just like your father. When you're up on stage and you're preaching, I can just picture your dad. You know why that is, right? I've listened to my dad preach for 30 years. So obviously I'm going to mimic some of those traits. Alex and Steve and I were at our Fellowship Atlantic Pastors Cluster a few weeks back and we were sharing prayer requests with the pastors. What can we be praying for you and your family this summer? Not just church, we can talk about church, but let's talk about you specifically. And I said... I want to learn how to do ministry with my family. I want to know how to better serve God with my family. I don't want the conversation to keep being, 
Okay, say goodbye to daddy. He's going to a meeting at the church building. Say goodbye to daddy. He's going to guys group tonight. All right, you kids got to get to bed quick because mommy and daddy have to host their life groups. You need to be sleeping upstairs. I want the conversation to be more okay. Let's go do this together. So what does that look like? Mimicry. The younger generation is unique in so many ways. Steve talked about last week with this woke generation. But they will often reflect and mimic the values and virtues they see in the former generation. Stage one, imitation. Stage two, exploration. We'll start picking up speed here. Like ages 15 to 30-ish. Young adults. Independence. School. Work, first jobs, spontaneity, travel, experiences, doing your own laundry. Do you remember that the first time? Paying your own bills, first car. I remember wondering if I had enough credit to sign for my own cell phone. I can't quite remember. I think my father-in-law may have signed for my first cell phone after we got married. So many new things in this season of life for young adults. New experience. All of these teens who are now young adults, we talked about COVID, the pause on time, like three years have flown by. Whoa, you're graduating this year. We're launching you out in the world. Weren't you just in youth group last time I checked? What do we really want young people to discover about themselves, about their identity, about their place in the world, place in the church, their giftedness, the purpose God has for their life? Do we want to wait until they are of age to have these conversations? I used to think, man, I can't wait until I grow up and people take me seriously. <laughs> Do you remember thinking like that? I remember, I remember, I remember, I remember. I was sitting back there, um, like 2005. We were at a youth group event here at the church facility. I was coming from People's Church Youth Group. I think it was the 30-hour famine. We were locked in all night. Not locked in, but I think that's the term we use for those overnight events with teens. Door probably was locked. But the next morning, you're grumpy, you're tired, you're thinking, why did I sign up for a whole night of this? It was fun, but the next day, you're just grumpy, right? Teenage hormones. So our youth leader, we met her at the van, we're all packed up, we're ready to go, and she's sitting in the parking lot. And I said, what are we waiting for? I want to get home and go to bed. And she said, oh, I don't, I don't know the directions to get back to the highway and get back to Truro yet. She had just moved, moved into the area not too long before. And I said, I do know the directions, so let's go. And she said, I'll never forget this, and I probably kind of agree with her now because I was just a 15-year-old punk. Um, she said, I'm going to wait for an adult to give some directions. I'll follow them to get back. And I thought, oh, man, I can't wait until I grow up and I'm an adult, and people can listen to me. I remember doing my first funeral, officiating my first funeral as a brand new pastor, 21 years old. It was a family I'd never met before. They called all the churches in the area. They didn't have a church connection, looking for a pastor to do the funeral. I was the only one who wasn't on vacation. I think I was like the 13th one they tried. So that's why I was the one officiating the funeral. I wore my hospital ID badge for spiritual care so that they could identify me as the pastor. And the first thing they said when I walked into the visitation was, are you old enough to be a pastor? <laughs> and I thought, I can't wait until that magical age when all of a sudden you're an adult and people take you seriously. 
but I think I missed it. Because now I'm looking around thinking like, why don't I get invited to the young adult events anymore? Like you just wake up one day and it's like, wow, I'm through that stage in life. I'm no longer a young adult. I can officially say that. And like, what was that sweet age where all of a sudden I transitioned into adult? I don't know. I think I missed it. So here's my point. I kept wishing for this and I missed it. When is the right time with young adults to really give them the responsibility, to listen to their opinions, to give them a place at the table? How do we help young people find their place to serve, their role to play in God's kingdom, if they're old enough to be trained as engineers who build skyscrapers in Halifax, or firefighters that we rely on last month, pilots who fly our planes, truck drivers, shouldn't we take them seriously in the church? Because other areas of our society are. Their crazy ideas, their desire to make a difference in the world, their naivety in thinking that the, the previous generation got it all wrong and they're going to correct it. I remember being there, thinking, why, why, why don't these old people just get up and do something? starting to realize why. I, re I remember my dad got me a poster when I was graduating from high school and it said, teenagers, tired of being harassed by your stupid parents? Act now, move out, get a job, pay your own bills while you still know everything. <laughs> I still have that poster. I appreciate it more now. The last thing young adults need to be told is, yep, we tried that. It doesn't work. Sure, we need to help them appreciate the previous generation's contribution and experience, but not to the degradation of their own passions and desires and spirit. My first thought on this was David. Young David didn't get invited to the inauguration of the new king when Jesse's sons passed before Samuel. Wait, there's still the youngest. He's out in the field watching the sheep. And then his dad sends him with a bunch of cheese and crackers to his brothers who are fighting the Philistines in the Israeli army. And they're encamped on the hilltop and, and the Philistines are over here and Goliath marches down every day for 40 days, the number of testing. And then it looks like David arrives on the 40th day. Should we wait for the Goliath moments in a young adult's life to give them what they need to succeed? Or should we encouraging them, be encouraging them to practice it in the field while they're watching the sheep for when that day comes? Because when David is coming up, let me read it for you. 1 Samuel 17, verse 33. King Saul says to David, you're not able to go up to this Philistine and fight with him. You are but a youth. You're just a kid. And he's been a man of war from his youth. Well, somebody gave him an opportunity, obviously Saul. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him. I struck him. I delivered it out of his mouth. If he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and I struck him and I killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. 
For he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. I've seen God do it before. And I'm going to see him do it again. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. But before he sent him off, he said, why don't you try on my armor first? Which is hilarious. It's like, here are the methods that worked for me. You should use those methods. David's like, no, I haven't practiced those methods. I've been practicing my sling and my stone, so I'm going to go collect those. And you know what happened? God gave David the victory. Not because he stepped up in the moment, but because God was preparing him over time as a kid, that young adult stage. We can't wait for the Goliath moment. We can't wait for the university moment. We can't wait for the launching them into the world moment to have the quick conversation that they live their life by. Kids are watching us. Kids are, are mimicking us. Kids are imitating what we do. And are we passing on these values before so these young adults are ready when they get to this stage? Young adults explore and discover the world. Kids imitate their parents. Here's stage three. I know I said I was going to pick it up. I got to pick it up a little faster. Commitment. This is the stage of life I'm in. Maybe it's the stage of life you're in. This is the stage where you get into long-term relationships, careers, maybe kids, settling down, buying a home. You commit in so many ways, so many different aspects of life. It's not that the days of new experiences and travel are over per se. You can still be spontaneous, enjoy your life. You just know that tomorrow morning work starts at 830 and the kids need to be on the bus with their lunches packed at 7.30. And the bills need to be paid. The groceries need to be picked up. There's a lot of schedule, a lot of responsibility, a lot of commitment. It's weird to no longer refer to myself as a young adult. To lose interest in video games, staying up late, eating whatever I want. I can't do that anymore. Part of that is maturity. Part of that is my body won't let me have a crazy hiking adventure through the weekend and then be ready to preach on Sunday. I'm just not at that stage in life anymore. I love the stage of life I'm in. I wouldn't want to go back, but I'm also well aware that I don't have the freedom and flexibility and passion and spirit and enthusiasm that I did 10 years ago. I have more responsibility. I have more people counting on me. I have more commitments, more items on the calendar. Does that sound like where you're at in life? In many ways, I'm busier. Hopefully, that means I'm more productive, but there is more to consider now before I take a week off vacation. What does serving look like in this stage of life when commitment levels are high, schedules are busy, responsibilities add up? Serving becomes more holistic in this stage, more, more practical, more down to earth. We learn that being involved in ministry is more everyday life. Missions trips, awesome. Building projects, cool. But most serving in this stage is much more humble and bite-sized. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. This is the verse that came to mind as I was thinking about this stage, about discipleship serving in this life stage. So, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. I think about Paul's words in Philippians. In whatever state I'm in, I've learned to be content. In plenty, in little. I think of the busy schedule. I think of the schedule with some margin in it. 
I've learned to be content. Deuteronomy 6, 7. Teach your children these laws, this book of the law. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, put them on your gate, when you come in and out of the driveway because it's a busy season of life. You've got to use the little moments in the day that you have for the truth of God's word and engaging in mission as a family. These little simple moments. Okay, stage four, and I'm going to finish off with this. Legacy. It's like the last 30 years or so, if God grants you a long life. Retirement years, maybe grandparent years. Maybe the conversation is about slowing down, resting. Physical health is more a part of the conversation in this stage. Maybe you did great things. Maybe you worked hard. Maybe you lived through a lot of changes and seasons in life, tons of experience. Feels like there's way more in the rearview mirror than there is out the windshield. Energy and circumstance no longer allow you to serve the way that you once did. Maybe you could be like Caleb, Caleb and Joshua. Caleb's 80 years old and he says, I'm going to take this mountain. And then he fights and gains the victory and secures the mountain at 80 years of age. I don't know, maybe you have energy like that. I, I know some people in their 80s who have energy like that. Maybe like Jacob, you're older, your eyes are hard of seeing. Physically, you're not able to do what you've done and you pass the blessing on to the next generation. What does that look like? We talked about David gathering contributions so that his son Solomon could build God's temple in Jerusalem. I think of Eli, the priest, his interaction with Samuel. Hannah prayed for a son. God blessed her with a son. And she dedicated her son Samuel back to the Lord's work. He lived in the temple with Eli. Eli is this old guy. And it didn't look like his sons chose to follow God. They were pretty wicked. Eli has this opportunity with this little guy Samuel. And Eli's an old man. And it's in 1 Samuel 3, verse 1. Just let me read it for you and we'll close. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days and there was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he couldn't see, he was lying down in his place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. The Lord calls out to Samuel and he says, here I am. And ran to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. Eli said, I didn't call you, lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I didn't call you, my son, go lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he rose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. Then... Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. You know, you can call this discernment. You can call this the spirit of God working. Uh, we talk about a mother's intuition. We talk about gut feeling. We talk about the subtle promptings of the spirit. I think as you grow, you either become more calloused or you become more open to the voice of God as you practice the word of God and prayer and talking to God, approaching God, following Jesus. Have you ever noticed that older people, they're either like super jolly, rosy cheek, kind, grandmotherly, grandfatherly, or they're really grouchy? Have you noticed that? 
Eli senses, for whatever reason, that God is speaking to Samuel and calling Samuel. And Samuel needs somebody in his life who's followed God for a lot of years who can help Samuel determine the voice of the Lord and God's call on his life. Verse 9, Therefore, because Eli saw that God was calling the boy, he said to Samuel, Go and lie down. If he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down at his place, and the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. We're out of time. I'm not really sure how to land the plane. I'll just put that out there. <laughs> Let's do this. If you're in that first life stage, if you would consider yourself a kid, a teenager, if you're not quite to that stage of independence where you've left the house, would you stand up? Now, if you're in that second life stage, if you would consider yourself a young adult, you know, maybe you've left the house, maybe you're going off to college, maybe you just graduated, maybe it's, you're, you're looking into long-term commitments, but you're not quite there yet, would you stand up? And then if you're in that third stage where you're in a really, a really busy stage of commitment, whether it's family or work, career, house, responsibilities, if, if you're in that kind of middle in-between stage, I'm going to stand up too. Can I encourage you to stand up? Now I want to use the correct, appropriate terminology for this next stage. If you are in the experienced, veteran, the wisdom, legacy stage of life where you've got a lot of years behind you and Lord willing, some good years of ministry ahead of you, can I encourage you to stand up? We're going to pray together for some discernment as to what serving and ministry and engaging in the mission God has for us looks like in our specific personal life stage. What does serving and being involved in the church and community and shining the light for Christ look like in the stage of life that you're in right now? So let's pray for that, and then I've got some instructions about baptism and barbecue. Let's pray. God, I want to praise you so much for your word today. Thank you for your word as it's written in scripture. Thank you for the word that became flesh and dwelt among us and we got to see your glory. The only son of God, thank you that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. That's the word, that's the message, that's the good news that we preach. God, thank you for the words of testimony that we hear today. We want to praise you for what we're going to hear down at the river of lives that are being changed because of you through faith in your son, Jesus Christ. We want to praise you for that. God, we pray for clarity and for wisdom today. We're not in the same life stage we were 10 years ago, five years ago, maybe even three years ago. God, would you 
Help us to see our role to play as we are these stones that are being built up into your house, built on the rock, the foundation, the chief cornerstone that is Christ Jesus. Would you show us our part to play, our role, our gifting, our place to serve in the body, our role to play in your mission. God, give us the the courage, like Isaiah, like Kathy, like Garza, like those who will be baptized, to stand up and to publicly declare our allegiance with you, Jesus. Thank you for that scripture in Philippians that Steve read. You didn't count equality a thing to be grasped, but you lowered yourself. You came to this earth, you became a servant, and then you even gave your life on the cross. We thank you for the example you've sent. Help us to follow your example in serving others so that we can proclaim the excellencies of your goodness and your glory to the world around us. God, we thank you for the good God that you are. In Jesus' name, amen.